Hello, podcast listeners. I am here today with Suzanne and Lisa from Foundation House Ministries. They've been some of our regulars here in this conversation, really guiding us in an exploration of trauma-related topics. So today we're looking at the topic of self-medicating and trying to kind of explore and understand what that means, how it impacts our programs, how we might think about it as we're working with women and inviting them into change and just kind of exploring that with them. So Suzanne and Lisa, thank you so much for just bringing your expertise to this conversation. We're so grateful to have you on a regular basis and so grateful that you're willing to share your knowledge with us as we do this. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Appreciate being here. So let's go ahead and enter in um, and really trying to to kind of figure out what we're talking about. So can one of you give us an overview of self-medicating or what we use that term, what are we talking about? So self-medicating in a nutshell is our attempt to use other substances or, or sometimes other activities to um, to act as kind of a numbing agent where we might use prescription drugs or um, we might use hard drugs to accomplish the same purpose. The, the term self-medicating can include things like overeating. It can include um, sleep. It can include really anything that is is being used as a medication to to soothe and to kind of block out the the, the negative thoughts or fear or whatever it is that you're you're trying to hide from. Most typically, we see it in the girls using um, drugs and alcohol um, when they come into the program. Prior to being in the program, uh, cigarettes is another self-medicating tool. A lot of our girls will be smokers. And, um, and so that can be a hard thing that they have to give up in order to come into the program. Alcohol, of course, is a, is a self-medication. And those are kind of obvious, but some of the other things like uh, sleeping around, you know, having a, a new relationship, that, it, that kind of perpetual relationship high that you're in uh, can be a form of self-medication or uh, food or sleep. That's another one that we see a lot mm-hmm. of after the girls come into the program and, and lose some of the opportunities to use other things that, as part of their coping strategies. They may end up sleeping 10, 12, 14 hours at a time. But all of these things are just a, they're, they're just negative coping skills, negative coping habits that need to be broken. Another one is social media is used as self-medicating. You know, there's some control you can have anonymously online that you don't have in real life. Um, So social media is one that I actually just thought of as Suzanne was talking that uh, is um, self-medicating. Yeah, interesting. Can you help tie the bridge back to trauma? We know, you know, kind of put put it in the context of trauma. It's it's fairly straightforward, I think, but maybe just help us see that link. The only reason that you really need to self-medicate is to drown out whatever it is you're trying to avoid, whether it, it's those those tapes playing in the back of your mind saying that you're, you're stupid and you're worthless or you don't deserve it, or it's physical pain or it's memories of how you have been harmed in the past. All of our girls are coming from a past of some level of trauma could be significant. It could be um, relatively minor, comparatively speaking, but they're all in a position where they find themselves pregnant and homeless or are pregnant and in need of a program like the housing population that, that we represent. All of these women that we're going to be working with have some kind of background of trauma. And so these self-medicating tools are their attempt to drown it out. It's not so much self healing, and it's definitely not self-care, but it is a form of self-soothing. 
So if I can just drown it out, then I don't have to think about it any longer. If I can just be high enough, then I won't have to remember what happened to me. And like Lisa said, you know, social media, that's one that I probably am guilty of myself or playing um, video, you know, little games, solitaire (laughs) or something like that. Anything that is, it's a distraction to the farthest degree possible. All of those can can be tools for self-medication. And and not all self-medication is a bad thing, but excessive self-medication becomes a big problem. So drugs is probably the most common, you know, that mm-hmm. that we see. Um, I know that, you know, trying to think through how that plays out as we're screening and interviewing women. How are you kind of assessing their level of self-medication versus self-healing, self-care? I love that distinction of really trying to, you know, mm-hmm. one is a negative and then the others are positive. It's, you know, it's the same idea, right? It's trying to mm-hmm. deal with the pain in your life, but doing it in a negative versus a positive way. How are you assessing yeah. that um, as women come in? Typically, you know, we start with a phone interview and can pick up a few things there and then go on to an in-person interview. If we get them from, say, drug court or if we get them from they've been in jail for whatever reason, you can kind of look at that history, you know, why they're there. You know, if it's drug court, obviously drugs have been an issue, so you kind of know, and it's just starting to put those puzzle pieces together until you find Usually it's not just one thing. Uh, It's not just drugs. It's drugs and bad relationships or drugs and homelessness, uh, couch surfing, you know, go hand in hand. And it's all forms of self-medicating because to get the drugs, you have to be out in the community where you can. So the couch surfing is a type of, uh, you know, getting what you want, so to speak. But typically it's from uh, those initial intakes and knowing where the client is coming from. Asking some questions that, you know, say you get you get someone who says that they've been in jail, you know, for three years. Obviously, you know, that's a long time. So what have they done? How have they coped since they've gotten out? Uh, you know, how long it's been? So it's just kind of filling those puzzle pieces in with the data that they give you and trying to see a full picture of what this person's doing. And, you know, you can tell if they're energetic or if they like the outdoors, if they exercise, you know, what their food, I ask them what their favorite foods and things like that are, if they know how to cook or, you know, what their idea of a home cooked meal is. All of those things are clues and insight into what they use to self-medicate. There might be some controversy around this issue, but do we do we kind of do you tend to think of all drug use, all alcohol use as self-medicating, or is there another, is there kind of self-medicating type of use and then another type of use that that goes on? Well, I think it's more of a continuum. It's all self-medicating, but not all self-medicating is necessarily a bad thing. That's why we have Tylenol and ibuprofen as as over-the-counter purchases, because sometimes I, I just, I have a twinge and I need a couple of ibuprofen. I don't necessarily need to go to the hospital and be on a, a, an antibiotic regimen or, or something like that. So there, it's a continuum of care and of medicating. So alcohol and, and drug use is, is kind of the same thing. There's minimal usage and then there's excessive usage, which is what prompts the behaviors, which um, mm. which then land them into programs that, that then send them to us, um, whether that's jail or drug court or a, a different homeless shelter or something like that. Yeah, you have use, which anyone who takes any form of drug, Tylenol, whatever, is use. And then you have abuse, and that's when you take a substance, not as it's intended, but you really don't have any life-altering consequences. You know, you're just using mm-hmm. more than you should, more often than you should, but then 
you have the addiction, and that's where you can't function without it. Uh, yeah. And those are the main ones that we see. And we have had girls who have been on drugs for years and have been clean and may choose to drink alcohol. Alcohol was never a problem for them. They may choose after they get out of the program to socially drink a beer or something, where others it would be devastating for them to rely on anything, even in a social yeah. setting, to self-medicate. Yeah. Part of our program then is to really try and direct what has been a negative coping strategy, what has been a negative way of dealing with pain into healing or into more positive ways to deal with that pain. So, you know, if we think of our programs through that lens, any thoughts on, you know, we kind of know that these negative strategies are, they're, you know, they have this element of trying to reduce pain in the life, which we, mm-hmm. you know, can be sympathetic toward, right? There's something sure. about, about that that we exactly. can be sympathetic toward. Um, and yet we're asking them to kind of give up those things. Any just thoughts on how we as programs can think about that dynamic? Yeah, I think we definitely need to be very, very careful in 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 what we're requiring the girls to give up and how fast and and really how much. I mean, if if she's she's trying to stay clean from drugs, she's been an alcoholic, she's been a, a repeat bad bad relationship, abusive relationship issues have been in her life, and then she's also smoking cigarettes. Well, you know, just by virtue of coming into the program, she's going to be forced to continue to stay clean. There's not going to be access to alcohol and we're going to very limit her ability to have illicit relationships because of course that's kind of the point of the program. So cigarettes are really kind of her last hold, um, her last level of control. And as much as we do not allow cigarettes in our home, we do feel like we have to allow at least a few days of weaning herself off of it and and not requiring her to go cold turkey because it, it it can be very physically damaging to her and the baby if she is a heavy smoker. And then it's also very, very emotionally damaging because this is her last link to what to, to all of her other coping strategies that are, are certainly are not good, are, are bad choices, but, but it's the last one she has access to. So we have to be mindful of what we're requiring her to give up and to give her the time that she's going to need in order to do that safely and ultimately permanently. There are some programs through the health department that give incentive for stopping smoking. There's some programs that will furnish the patches for them. You know, we prefer our girls come down and never smoke again. That's not realistic, especially when it's part of the lifestyle that they've lived for so long. And it's a social crutch for them as well. You know, if I'm not smoking, I'm not drinking, I'm not doing drugs anymore. I don't even have any idea where I belong. So it is one of the hardest ones to let go. Um, In drug court in Bradley County, they do allow the participants to consume tobacco. But I do know that in other counties in our state, it is not allowed at all. So that's one more thing that they're tested for, which, you know, seems really harsh, but I can see it from both sides, I guess. Yeah. So. Are there other things that we might see as kind of negative coping strategies that, that you're more lenient on? Sounds like sleep, you know, allowing mm-hmm. a period of transition that might be one or is there yeah. other places where you exercise leniency in your program kind of with this idea that they're they're in a process of learning we do uh, we don't have a specific time that they have to be out of bed in the morning or that they have to necessarily be in bed at night you know we have house considerations and you know we do have rules but it's not 
set in stone. So, you know, the dynamic changes every time you have more people or less people in and out of the house. But by allowing them to decide, you know, I know I need uh, 30 minutes in the morning to get ready to be able to walk out the door and letting them decide what time they get up gives them a little bit of control. You know, if I tell them every day you have to be up at 6 a.m. and you do this, 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 and this, that's one more thing that they're out of control with. And so it negatively affects them and it, you know, it hurts our relationship as well as we're getting to know them. So I think allowing them to choose their sleep and also to suffer the consequences if they stay up too late or they oversleep, you know, like they would in real life when they're out on their own, they're going to be suffering the consequences for, you know, any type of abuse of their bodies that they do. And sleep is, yeah. you know, one of them or eating too late at night and then being miserable all night, you know, different things like that with our girls, especially uh, heavy eaters and they like to sleep hours and hours and hours and then you know they're exhausted constantly it's a cycle that you just can't get out of without really really wanting to and often they don't even know that they're in it or need you know need to be out of it giving them a little bit of control over that but pointing out what consequences they are suffering from the lifestyle choices they're making while in the program. Are you deliberate in talking to the women about, you know, these things that you've used in the past were were ways of dealing with pain and let's help figure out some other ways to kind of deal with pain in your life. Is that a deliberate conversation or is that more of a, you know, lived experience in the house of, you know, we don't do these things. Here are the things that we do. Yeah, it's definitely got to be both. I mean, we are all about telling them what you are doing is why you feel like you feel. What you are doing is making yourself worse. And here are some of the things that you can do to change that. But at the same time, we're also demonstrating in our own lives how we make good choices and and. You know, sometimes we don't make such good choices and then we feel the consequences of it afterwards, uh, you know, and we're pretty honest with that. You know, I, I was up too late at the football game last night and then I had to get up this early for work today and I'm really dragging those, those kinds of things. You know, we're really honest with them that if you don't get enough sleep, you are going to feel this this poorly the next day. But then at the same time, it, it's still ultimately their choice, their body, their lives, their futures. We only have a, a certain amount of control over them for a very limited amount of time. And so we, we want them to choose this for themselves. But if they're not going to, then we really can't, we certainly can't force them beyond the, the boundaries of our program. But to try to force them to do too much while they're in the program just, just creates headaches for ourselves and, and contention and frustration. And so we, we do give them more leeway. First, when they first come into the program, we're trying to wean them towards our, our way of life. And, um, and then as they're preparing to exit the program, we're giving them more opportunity to make their own decisions because this this is what they have to do every day. You have to get yourself up and go to work. You have to get your baby ready to go to daycare and you you, ha- you have to pay your bills. You have to be ready for work. You have to be rested. You have to be eating appropriately so that you can be rested and you can be happy and healthy and spend time with your baby. Uh, and so sometimes you have to learn the hard way in order to appreciate the, the difference. Allowing the girls to what they call go off. You know, they hold things in so long, their coping mechanism has always been to lash out, to, you know, in mm. anger, to act in anger, to 
punch something. So by allowing them to, quote, go off in a safe place with us is one of the ways that we, we help them. I guess you could, in a sense, say it's self-medicating, but it's real, it's self-soothing. So we kind of walk them through the going off and allow them to do it in, in a restricted environment. You know, you've got this long, you know, you go off all you want, and then let's talk about how you feel afterwards. And, and we found that to be really effective. It's more situational and something yeah. that you just pick up on with the individual clients at the time. Um, but it is something that we can help them learn to use the new coping skills, learn, you know, a different way to self-soothe other than by medicating. So I suspect this approach might be uncomfortable to some programs, right, that we have this idea that, that the program needs to control, you know, to set, not control her behavior, but right, but, but like set the parameters of behavior in the house. And what I hear you saying is like this idea that she's in control, right? She needs to figure these things out for herself and adopt them. And, you know, we're here to guide that process, but, but kind of putting the locus of control on her. Or, and I'm well, sure there's some, you know, give and take in that, but yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, we're certainly not loosey-goosey letting letting them do whatever they want to. But what we're doing, of course, we, we work exclusively with adults. We don't work with minors. And so we're talking about women that are in their 20s. And occasionally we've had a, a, a 30-year-old and so 31. And so, you know, we're, we're dealing with adults who have been living their lives more or less successfully. I mean, at least they've survived up to this point. So they've already set in stone a lot of these coping mechanisms that, that they're accustomed to. So we're having to kind of retrain them to think a different way. And that is a much different prospect than if these girls were, you know, 15, 16, and, and just didn't didn't know anything about the world, had never really been able to make choices on their own, had never had any control over their themselves and, and their lives. We probably could operate a little more controlled because the girls would be accustomed to it. Our girls are accustomed to free reign. And so we're trying to teach them how to model themselves and model their lives after Jesus. And, and we're modeling it for them and we're, we're guiding them and directing them. But, but we're also giving them the luxury of making their own choices and of recognizing that, you know, that they are grown women and they do have children already as in addition to the one they're pregnant with um, for many of our clients. And so we, we don't have a lot of opportunity really to be truly mm-hmm. strict and in control. The the time that we do have is when they first come into the program, they're going to be on their best behavior, you know, kind of in that honeymoon phase. And I will tell the existing girls in the house, hey, you know, we have somebody new coming in. It's back to basic. Uh, We may have been doing what we want to do. And, you know, you guys know what you're supposed to do. And you guys know how to take care of yourself. This person doesn't. So they will very willingly go back to asking permission to do certain things, being very, very mindful of this new person coming in uh, and that they're restricted from the phone and different things like that. And so, you know, we can use the girls to help get that grounding there. And then as you get to know the new girl that's coming in, she will, you know, lax up a little bit and you find out what her triggers are, you know, what she actually needs to be able to cope and kind of get in a rhythm there. But in the beginning, just having the girls already there kind of go back to basics, the ones who are in a higher level, go back to basics and make it more of an equal footing for them has really been beneficial 
to us bringing new girls in that have all these rules all of a sudden that they're having to go by. I found that really helpful with some of my clients in the transitional stage. Let's talk a little bit about some of the healthy things that you're replacing self-medicating with. If self-medicating is no longer part of how they deal with pain, what are some of the healthy ways that you're trying to introduce to the women? Well, first of all, our goal is to keep them busy, whether they are at work, whether they're working for our small business here on site, whether they're in classes, whether they're doing uh, doctor's appointments or court or, or whatever it is they're obligated to. We want them busy. We want them to have very little downtime until the evening um, so that they're too exhausted to realize that they haven't self-medicated. Um, we're replacing the um, the desire, we're replacing their freedom to do what they want with um, with busy work. And um, and then as time goes on, we're also talking with them about healthy eating habits and, and healthy sleeping habits. And, you know, we do practice mindfulness here every day with, um, with yoga and, and a limited amount of meditation, mindful thinking, deep breathing, teaching them how to listen to themselves and how to listen to their bodies, teaching them how to, you know, take those thoughts captive under the blood of Christ, as Paul talks about, um, all of that is encapsulated there in that that mindfulness activity, teaching them to to listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to what is being said outside of the specific Bible studies or church services that, that we may also participate in. And then from there, it's really more of a client-specific type thing. If she is a, a drug user, we're, we're filling her time with, um, with AA meetings or NA meetings or other counseling services, you know, keep, keeping her occupied. If she is um, tends to be an excessive sleeper and leads to lends to towards the depressive side, we may be um, also meeting with counselors. We may be keeping her busy. We may be making her go on daily walks, you know, for, for five or 10 minutes and building up to a 20 or 30 minute walk uh, over time so that she is learning the value of regular physical exercise and how much differently she feels when she's doing it. And so, so she can begin to make better choices um, once she has a, a compare and contrast that, that she can look at. And then you know, as far as food goes, that's another big, um, big thing, especially in the poverty mindset. Food is, um, it's quantity over quality. And so our girls are all big eaters. They tend to be heavy on the heavier side. And so we're, we're talking about healthy nutrition options. We're talking about, you know, cooking from scratch and, and how you can do easy things. And it doesn't always have to be a, a, out of a box or a, a can. And so we're, we're just constantly trying to compare and contrast. Here's the choice you're making. Here's this other choice that that, um, that, that is slightly different and might require a little bit more effort. But boy, don't you feel the difference? Don't you appreciate how you feel after you had this meal as opposed to the one that you cooked last night and those kinds of things? We might not specifically point it out, um, you know, and in a way that might offend her or hurt her feelings, but but we will try to to work it in to make sure she doesn't miss the difference and, um, and begins to make better choices. And we reward that. We encourage that and praise her. Praise is a big reward around here. We really want them to know that, that we're encouraging them and we're proud of them when they are making choices that are healthier. And also by allowing them to purge, you know, when they, when they, and we, we kind of do it as a group, staff, some volunteers and clients, um, about one day a week, we will do a purge and everyone can kind of get rid of everything that, you know, is on their mind, the things that 
are keeping them from reaching a goal, from moving forward, things that just have us all stressed out. And being able to hear staff members and volunteers talk about, you know, hey, my life's not perfect either. And mm-hmm. um, it really it really helps and it allows the girls to, to feel comfortable sharing because, you know, it's like they're always on display. You know, everybody wants yeah. their story from them. Everybody wants to know something. But just talking about, you know, how their weekend was, with their child if they got to visit, you know, um, how nervous they were leading up to it. And when they talk about it, then you can kind of help give them coping skills to manage the next time or say, okay, so if this situation happens again, what will we be doing? And those are some of our best, most fruitful sessions that Mm -hmm. we have that I believe really put some of the coping skills into practice uh, in in a tangible way so that they can see some results. Do you use the word coping skills or is it and what's the language that you your program uses around these things? Are you um, using formal like I think co- coping skills is kind of a clinical term, right? Or yeah, a coping strategy. Yeah. Yeah, are you, we, doing, we are do you using that, that or are you using other things? Mm-hmm. We, we do use we the do. term. We also use um well we may use the specific uh strategies, not necessarily the umbrella term of coping skills, although that's one of the classes that we that we teach and so we will refer to them kind of as a as a group as coping skills. But we may say, you know, well th- this time when when you use that grounding technique that we had talked about, you know, that was, that really worked well for you. Or um, I was really proud of you that you were able to, to take a few deep breaths and, and kind of let that frustration go and, and not respond in anger. So, so we, we kind of do it both ways. We'll, um, we'll, we'll speak more to the specific strategies, but we'll also use the, the general terms as well. And the girls love it. They, they don't, I, I think it's important that they know where this is coming from so that they can um so that they can put their trust in it. The majority of our girls are in um in another class or uh counseling mm-hmm. or something where they're learning about coping skills. So it, it's kind of, oh yeah, I know what that means kind of thing for them so that so they like um they like something familiar. Yeah. We can be doing yeah. the exact same thing as they're learning in in one of their night classes for uh say drug court and they finally get it after the tenth time that one of us has said something and it's like, Yeah, that's what we've been talking about, you know, the whole time. <laughs> but they have to get it when they're ready to get it. So allowing yeah. them that time is frustrating, but that's the only way that they will get it is in their in their own time, in God's time. He knows mm-hmm. He knows when it's right, and He knows when they're the most receptive. Yeah. And being able to use that is really victorious. When they're able to use a coping skill, they they see a real victory and and growth in themselves, mm-hmm. and and that makes them really proud. Yeah, and that's when it becomes transformational when they recognize yes. it and they want to do it again. They want to begin making those permanent life changes that are going to benefit them so much more in their futures. Um, that's really what we want to work towards: is you embrace this for yourself. I'm not going to follow you around for the rest of your life, reminding you to use your coping skills or use your tools in your toolbox. Um, I, I don't have time for that. Um, I'm too busy trying to remi- remember to do it for myself. But when you embrace this as part of your life and your choices, um, that's when it becomes transformational for her future. We talked about self-medicating versus self-soothing versus self-care. And you used kind of a series of terms. Can you just touch on that again? What you see as the range of ways to, to do 
address pain in our lives. So self-care is what we're, that's what our goal is. When, whenever we're doing any of these things, our goal is to fill those empty buckets within ourselves, what, whatever it is, whether I'm exhausted, whether I'm, you know, frustrated with the world, whether, you know, just, just trying to block out negative memories or thoughts. My, my desire is to self-care. It's to fix that problem. And I self-medicate in order to do that. Or sometimes I might self-soothe. And self-soothing are those activities that we tend to think of as self-care, but don't necessarily actually fill our bucket. It could be something like taking a bath, but it could be a getting a pedicure. For some someone, that might be self-care, but for someone else, it's self-soothing because you're not actually fixing the problem. Self-care is, is actually fixing the problem, filling up that bucket, rest, healthy foods, quality time. You know, sometimes it, it could be alone time, uh, it, especially if you're an introvert. Maybe you need to be away from people. Maybe you need to be out in nature for an hour or two. Um, those are things that are going to self-care, something that's going to fill that bucket in yourself back up. Self-soothing gives you the semblance of filling the bucket up, but it doesn't actually benefit you. Self-soothing could be like uh, reading a, a novel. It's, it may give you some downtime, but it's not necessarily restoring you, um, where self-care might be um, reading scripture or uh, reading a devotional or something like that. So it's, it's similar, but it's, it's not really as effective. It's not as helpful. And then self-medicating would be in those lines of, um, of of doing things that are really not helpful with the attempt to self-soothe, using drugs and alcohol, using things that are going to block out and, and kind of put you in a, in, a, in a state of being zoned out, um, whether that's alcohol, whether it's social media, whether it's, it's sleep, whether it's food, whatever. You're, these are things that are unhealthy for you, but yet you're doing them because you want to feel better. So it's just picking the wrong thing, eating chips instead of eating a banana. And then you've got the, the ultimate goal is um, for self-healing. So self-care leads to self-healing, but self-soothing and self-medicating do not. Yeah, no, that was really helpful. Thank you for laying it out that way. We're close to time. I guess, are, could both of you, is there anything that you've been wanting to say that you didn't get a chance? Um, I would just like to encourage, you know, the program to not be afraid to make rules or to make guidelines, but also not to be afraid to, you know, tweak them when you need to. Every, Mm -hmm. it's not a one size fits all. And what works for one may not work for the other. Your pre-screenings will get you to know your client better than anything. And it's a process to get through, but just having some flexibility knowing that you're going to screw up if you're flexible, obviously, but being inflexible sometimes kind of defeats the purpose of, of the entire program. You can't pour anything into her if she's gone. So while we don't want to allow ourselves to be abused or our programs to be abused, we have to allow ourselves to be at least a little bit abused so that we have enough time to build a relationship where she will allow us to begin to pour into her and um, and and Lord willing that seed will begin to take root and mm-hmm. some of these things that we've been allowing ourselves to be abused about will will no longer be an issue whether she stops it or whether we have the the permission of the Lord at that point to deal with them directly 
So I'm aware that this issue, especially around addiction, has been kind of a hot topic in our movement right now, if we call it self-medicating, right? And I think there's a pretty um, maybe high level of fear around welcoming women that have had this um, a part of their life. And we know there's, a, you know, there's kind of stages of recovery, right? We know that there's, you know, that, that we're not called to serve in some of those early stages, right? Then the, where she's really in the throes of recovery. But I think mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out as a movement how, how to work with women that are in recovery, that have been self-medicating and how to point them and, and give them new new uh, strategies. So maybe just as a closing, kind of knowing that that's the context of what what we're thinking about as a movement. Any closing thoughts on how to think about past addictive behaviors, past drinking, past drugs, as we're working with women kind of in our homes now? Well, what comes to mind for me is it's not about feeling bad. We we have to be able to let that girl go somewhere else before she comes to us if she needs to and not look at it as, well, we're, you know, we're losing a client or this bed's empty and, you know, that's going to be the end of the world. Whether it is an intensive outpatient that she has to go through, whether it's a year-long program, uh, a 30-day program, whatever it is that she needs first, we have to give our permission to allow her that journey. Otherwise, we're, we're not going to be successful with her. We can only do what we are trained to do and knowing when we have to say no or knowing when we have to say not right now, I think will lead to much better outcomes and um, greater success in the long run. Yeah, thank you for that. To the challenge to be willing to, once a woman has gone through a program, to kind of walk with her on her ongoing journey to, you know, kind of what is is there, I know your your program is, is real open to that, like, you know, mm-hmm. how do we walk with her, even though her situation is yeah. kind of complicated and, you know, she's just coming out of rehab and, you know, how do we walk her on an ongoing basis? So the reality is, is that, I mean, we basically just always end up starting over. We, we do something new with every client because every, every woman needs something slightly different. And so to the best of our abilities, we just want to be all things to all men. And so whatever it is she needs from us, whether it's, uh, you know, emergency babysitting so she can still go to work and the baby has green diarrhea, we um, we do that. If it means uh, picking her up and at 3 o'clock in the morning from her friend's house because she has, you know, found a bottle of vodka and has almost overdosed on alcohol, we do that. We, we wipe the vomit off and we bring her back to the house and we let her sleep it off and we love her and then we get her into a program the next day. We, we do what she needs done. We, to the best of our abilities, we just try to love her. And we recognize that we are walking with her on her journey. We cannot bring her on our journey because that's invalid. It has to be her journey. No one else can come with me on my journey except the Lord, of course. And so I can only walk with her. I cannot drag her into my plans for her. And um, and so as she makes choices that maybe we don't agree with necessarily, we still love her and support her and, and help to the best of our abilities, whether it's with words of wisdom or whether it's with prayer or whether it's with referrals or, um, or, or sometimes it's you, you can't 
come back again to the house. It, sometimes it has to be pretty harsh, but, um, but it's all intended to love her toward fulfilling her journey towards Jesus. Yeah, no, beautiful note to end on. Thank you. Lisa, Suzanne, thank you so much uh, for letting me tap your brain on this topic and, <laughs> and so many other topics. So definitely grateful for that and grateful for you know, just I you, to hear how your program is experimenting with using these trauma-informed ideas in different ways and trying to think about some things um, differently uh, is a is a challenge, and you know it's exciting to hear and it challenges my thinking and those type of things. So I'm I'm sure that other listeners are having that experience as well. So thank you so much for being kind of willing to stand in that place and and uh, do that for us. We're grateful for it. Um, thank you. Um, we love it. Yeah. yeah, we look forward to continuing the conversation. Um, we'll be talking next week. We're gonna go kind of kind of on this theme of addiction, we're going to take it in a different direction um, as well. So we look forward to getting together next week and continuing the conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pregnancy Help Podcast. To subscribe to future episodes, access resources related to today's session, or listen to previous episodes, visit www.heartbeatinternational.org podcast. Thanks for tuning in.